You know what a progress report is, right? We've been, uh, we get periodically, we get progress reports from, from the school. Uh, we still have kids in school, and a progress report is just simply a method of looking at how much progress has been made toward the completion of a goal, some prescribed goal. Of course, in school, you know, there's a goal. Uh, they want the, the kids to learn certain things, and there's a grading system. And so that progress report comes out every so often. It says, hey, look, here is how your child is doing. Well, in Acts chapter 9, tonight's text, we're going to look at one verse tonight. It's a verse that, that Luke gives us a progress report of the first Christian church. Uh, We have been studying together the first several chapters of the book of Acts. We've been looking at the the first Christian church there in Jerusalem during the summer uh, because we are a church on the move. Um, God has uh, provided a way for us to to build our campus up on Happy Valley Parkway. And by the way, we, we we heard back from the city this week. We're in a process of site review, and so we have a meeting on Monday with our city planner. You can keep that in prayer. But things are continuing to move forward, and uh, supposedly in September, end of September, beginning of October, they should, you should start seeing dirt moving up there on Happy Valley in 83rd. And so we're a church on the move, and it's not just about building brick and mortar. We've been talking about that, what a church on the move looks like. And we're going to learn some more about that tonight because the church in Jerusalem was a church on the move. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus gave his disciples, he gave the church instructions. He gave them a mission. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And what we find them doing in the book of Acts is we find them carrying out exactly what Jesus told them to do. What was the mission? Well, if you just turn back a couple pages to chapter 1 and verse 8, Luke records the, the final words of Jesus before he ascended. He said this, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is exactly what the disciples set out to do. Now, it didn't happen overnight, did it? These things don't happen overnight. Uh, They continued, however, to move forward. And by the time we get to this verse... At the end of chapter 9, 10 years have passed. 10 years from Acts 1 to to Acts chapter 9, about 10 years, it's speculated, but, but about 10 years have passed. And now Luke gives us this progress report. Here's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers. Now, before we consider what happens in this verse, what the progress report is all about, I think that you have to consider what happened before this verse. Look at the word so that begins verse 31. So the church, 
There were some, there were some things that happened before the word so. In fact, the word so there is tying in all that has just been recorded in the book of Acts. What's just, what's happened in the past 10 years? Well, Peter and John had been arrested and threatened. These were difficult times. 10 difficult years. There was the death of Ananias and Sapphira for lying. We looked at that. There was opposition from the Pharisees and Sadducees, a a lot of opposition from the Sanhedrin. There was the tension in the church about some folks being neglected. We've looked at all of these. Stephen was killed. Christians were being driven from their homes. A a madman by the name of Saul was hounding Christians from city to city, arresting them and putting them into prison. And you have to take all that into account as you get to the word so. So. Those were tough times. But if you've been through this study with us, and if you've read through these chapters, you you might ask, well, Pastor Dave, there were some good times too, weren't there? There were. There was Jesus' appearance to his followers before his ascension. They saw Jesus go up into heaven and they were given the promise. Same way you saw him go up in the clouds, he's going he's gonna to come back again. Amen. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be fantastic if he just came back during the service? I don't know. I made the mistake again to turn the news on the other night and I thought, Jesus, please come back. Our world is going crazy. And the truth of the matter is, is the rest of the world has been living in crazy times. We've just been somewhat isolated, at least... From, I guess, maybe from, from most of our perspectives. But yeah, there were good times. There was the Pentecost experience, right? Peter filled with the Holy Spirit and the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, they get up and they begin preaching. 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. And soon thereafter, another 5,000 people, I mean, baptized, added to the church. I mean, woo, yeah, man, that's exciting, There was the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? The gospel was spreading. And then this big, this big thing that happened in chapter nine, earlier in chapter nine, Saul, this madman, this guy who was going after the church, he's miraculously saved. He's converted. Now he's one of the church. The church all through these chapters was seeing God answer prayer. There were miraculous things happening amazing yeah there were some good times geographically speaking you just look at the beginning of verse number 31 look what it says so the church throughout all judea galilee and samaria do you realize what's happening in that verse start in jerusalem in the upper room what's happened well geographically the church grew I mean, it had expanded out into, just like Jesus told him, hey, start in Jerusalem, then go into all Judea and the Samaria, right? And then the other, right? It was happening. Yeah, sure, persecution had a part in, in pushing them out into those areas, but it was happening. It was, the mission was going forward. So what we see in this verse, in Acts 9.31, is this. We see a church that is not just surviving. We see a church that is thriving. It's not just surviving. Man, they were thriving. What does a thriving church look like? 
What are some of the characteristics of a thriving church? Well, I think in Luke's little progress report here, I think we pick up on some. Now, these aren't all of them. Man, there's a lot of other verses, a lot of other passages in the Bible that I think you have to go to and say, you know what, this is a characteristic of a thriving church. Yeah, there are a lot, of, there are a lot more than these. But I think what we pick up in this verse are some really important ones that we, as a church, that we don't want to just survive, do we? Help me. We, I don't want to just survive. We want to thrive for Jesus. We want to thrive in our community, right? We want to thrive as disciples of Christ in our homes, in our personal lives, in the places where we work. We want to thrive as believers, and that spills over everywhere we go with the gospel of Jesus, right? We want to be a thriving church, not just a, well, bless God, we're surviving. Let's thrive. This should matter to us. And so, because we want to thrive as a church on the move, let's just look at these five simple characteristics that are pointed out here by Luke about this church that was thriving, not just surviving. Here's the first one. Do you see it there in verse 31? So the church around all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. By the way, it's singular. Church there is singular, right? And it seems to be pointing to the fact that, that the, the church was still like this, it was still the first Christian, it was like the church of Jerusalem, just there's all this all over the place, okay? So the singularness of this church, right? But what does it say here? The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. So the first characteristic of a thriving, not just surviving church is that the church has peace. Now, We've just mentioned it. The church had been going through troublesome times. But here's what we take away from that as we begin verse 31. That while they had gone through persecution, while they had gone through trouble, the trouble didn't destroy the church. The problems didn't cause the believers just to throw up their hands and say, ah, what's the use? What's the use? Let's just, let's just all quit. Have you ever wanted to quit during a time of trouble? Anybody? Yeah, I'll put my hand up. Hey, look, there have been times in, as our church has, has gone through the, the, the last many years, there have been plenty of times where I think we've all wanted to quit at one point or the other. And there have been a lot of people who have quit along. Frank's, Frank's got a smile on his face because... We're in cahoots about that, aren't we, Frank? Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've seen that. We've experienced that. I'm, I just, all I say is, man, it's just the grace of God. It's just the grace and the mercy of God, right, that we have it. Right, Frank? I mean, we just continue to press on. And here is this church. I love this, that, that, that they are now a church at peace. God had overruled the evil of men. Those who had worked against the church, those who were working to try to destroy the church, those even within the church that, that uh, like Ananias and Sapphira, those that, that could have corrupted the church and the sin could have brought the church down, right? All of these influences against the church, all these powers against the church did not destroy the church. God overruled all of that evil. He worked it all out for good. And here the church is at peace. 
Now, you can look at history, you can read the background, and there are several reasons probably why they, the church had peace, different aspects that contributed to this time of peace. Of course, Paul had been saved. I mean, Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he had been saved and he was the madman going around creating a lot of havoc in the church. So just that alone, right? Just that alone. But there were other things that had happened. The, the emperor had changed. Uh, uh, the new emperor, uh, actually, <laughs> this guy, he, he ordered that his image be set up in the temple. Caliglia was the guy's name. And he, he, he demanded that his image be set up in the temple. This was like, this caused the Jews to lose their minds. And after 10 years of the Jews losing their minds about the disciples and the Christians and the church, now they had something else to focus on. <laughs> it wasn't about attacking the Christians. Now it was like, what in the world? This guy is desecrating our temple. So there were things like that that were going on politically that had an impact on all of this. But what history shows us is that God often provides times of peace and calm for his church. We need that, don't we? How many of you played sports at some point in your life, right? Okay, Um, man, I loved playing sports and, and played basketball and soccer and baseball. And I was never very good at any of those. Don't let me put on like somehow I was some great athlete. I, athlete. I really wasn't. I just loved to, I just enjoyed athletics. But I'll, I'll tell you, I can remember, man, there were times when it was a hot day and we had just run around for 30 minutes or whatever it was. Halftime came. You know, you remember this? If you played sports, right? Halftime comes and it's like, oh, I got to sit down, give me some fluids, right? I mean, um, in the same way, that athletes need a break between quarters at the half, right? In the same way, I think this is what God provides for us. A time of, for us to replenish our strength. I'm thankful that trouble, the troubles in our lives, the troubles that we have experienced, that, 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 that churches experience, I'm, I'm thankful that they're not just ongoing without end, Right? God gave them a time of calm and reprieve. Now, I've never experienced persecution for coming to church, have you? Maybe some of you have. Uh, If you've been, if you have an unsaved spouse, perhaps, or family, um, it happens where there's persecution on a spouse or a family member just simply for becoming a Christian, even in America, right? Uh, now attaching yourself to a church. Maybe some of you in here have experienced that. I, I personally have not. I'm thankful that we live in a country, aren't you, that we have peace from persecution for the most part. And who knows how long that continues? I, it's, it's hard to say. It seems a bit sketchy. But I'm thankful that our early founders of this nation because they came here seeking relief from persecution in Europe, they put religious liberty in our Bill of Rights. Amen? I mean, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we can gather here tonight with, in freedom, right? And in liberty. I'm thankful for that. The question, though, is this. 
during times of peace, how do we live? How do we live? Oftentimes during times of peace and prosperity, it's easy for Christians to lose our interest in the Lord. Isn't it? We can get so caught up in other things. I I heard someone say uh, earlier this morning, I was listening to a podcast on my walk this morning, and and the guy said this. He said, hey, listen, what, what if we were to take all the things, you know, if I were to ask, he said, if I were to ask you as a, a Christian, what's the most important thing about you in your life? What would you say? And I think most of us say following Jesus, right? How many of you would say that? Yeah, that's the most important thing in my life. And then he went on and he said, well, what if we were to take other things like family and, and our work, our career and, and making money and, and having fun and all those things? What if we were just to literally put them first, like I'm going to put my family first. I'm going to put my career first. I'm going to put money first. I'm going to put entertainment first or whatever. He asked this question. Would anything really change? That kind of hit me right between the eyes. Hadn't really thought about it that way before. We say we follow Jesus. He's the most important in our life. Our life is all consuming. But if we, were to, if we were to actually move it all around and say, well, I'm going to put Jesus down here at number four, would anything actually change? Would we just go on like we always do? Because in reality, in our times of peace, we've just become consumed with so many other things. Ouch. That hurts, doesn't it? Stepping on my toes tonight. Proverbs 38 and 9. The wise man asked the Lord not to give him riches, right? He said, otherwise I might have too much and deny you. Saying, who is the Lord? What is he saying? He's saying, man, in our heart, it's easy for us to pursue other interests. It's really easy for us as human beings Especially in times of peace. Do you remember what happened when, when the attacks of 9-11 happened? Remember what happened? Remember there was this great call. I mean, people were flooding back into church. Do you remember this? Anybody remember this, right? Yeah, people were flooding back in. And, and there's talk of, man, there's going to be this great revival. I think it lasted all of about two weeks or something. It, it just kind of fizzled. Why is that? Because we're naturally prone to seek other things. And what the scripture exhorts us to do is to seek the Lord even in times of peace and prosperity. And I would suggest we do that. You know why? Because here's what happens. When we fail to seek the Lord in times of peace and prosperity, sometimes what the Lord does is because he loves us, he changes our circumstances, right? Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what will happen. Maybe that's what we'll see in our life. I, church, I hope not, right? I have kids, grandkids. I, I don't want to see this happen in America, but maybe that's what we will see happen in America. In fact, some of the, the greatest churches, the churches thriving today in the world, you know, they're not exactly surviving, th- thriving in a place of peace. They're thriving behind the Iron Curtain, they're, they're thriving behind closed doors where they have to hide and, and keep their Bible secret. Yeah. 
keep the name of Christ on the lowdown because otherwise there would be persecution. Listen, I'm thankful we don't have an atmosphere of persecution in our country today. But, you know, more than just an an atmosphere of peace in the absence of persecution, I think what a church really needs if we are going to thrive is not so much conflict outwardly as much as, in our case, turmoil inwardly, right? Turmoil inwardly. A thriving church has to possess peace and harmony within. Within the body, unity is found in an atmosphere of peace and great churches, thriving churches are united in love and in worship and a vision for the future. And so we must remain committed, church, to an atmosphere of peace among one another. We must. We must. And so this was a time of peace. Internal peace in a church promotes the kind of growth that we're going to be talking about here in a minute. But on the other hand, conflict within a church will kill its growth rather quickly. So we must be committed to an atmosphere of peace, right? So it was a time of peace, but it was not a time of complacency. Here, as we keep going through this progress report, here's what we find. The church is thriving, right? Number two, the second characteristic is that the church was strengthened. It was strengthened. Instead of being torn apart, what's going on here? Instead of being weakened, what's going on here? The church is becoming stronger. That's what Luke says. The church had peace and was strengthened. And that word strengthened there comes from two different, uh, two Greek words put together. The first one is oikos, which means house. And the second is doma, which means rooftop. And it just literally means to build to the rooftop, to build to the roof. It's the idea of building up. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said, I will build my church. Same word. So what does this mean? It means that thriving churches are intentionally, intentionally an ongoing, continuous building project. We're about to embark on a building project. But listen, Brick and mortar buildings, they burn up, they cave in, they fall down. I I watched last week, I guess it was, a a YouTube video. Uh, I grew up in, I was born in Rochester, in Pontiac, Michigan. And so I I was first a Detroit Lions fan. Don't tell anybody, all right? I moved off that pretty quick. But, but when we were moving out of Michigan and moving to Rhode Island, um, when I was just six years old, they were, the, the Pontiac Silverdome was like the latest and greatest thing. And I, I saw the other day, you know, you know what happened to Pontiac Silverdome. Have you seen this? Go Google it sometime. I mean, the thing was just abandoned and in disrepair. It, it, it looked terrible. Finally, they just blew the thing up. The millions, the, now the billions of dollars they spend on, on these projects and all of, this, all of these buildings, they eventually come down. And we have to remember that, church. 
We have to remember that the church that we build up here on Happy Valley Parkway, the brick and mortar is going to burn one day. It is going to cave in one day. It is going to be knocked over one day. When, I, when we were in Florida this summer uh, uh, on Facebook, I, I follow uh, some, some different Facebook groups of alumni of where I went to, to college in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's called Tennessee Temple University. It's no longer there. The, the school had closed a couple of years ago. But in June, the, the auditorium where Lee Robertson kind of had his big ministry, I've got pictures of Chauncey Good Auditorium being completely packed like, face, like a sea of faces. It's from the platform, a sea of faces. Completely packed. Balcony. I mean, thousands of people in there. Well, that building in June burnt down to the ground, and they came and knocked it down. That's what happens. But you know what? All the people in those pictures, buildings burn, but disciples don't. Right? Right? The building's going to fall down. The building's going to cave in. The building's going to burn. The building's not eternal. It's temporal. But the soul's of mankind are. So the church was being strengthened. The church was being built up. Church, we have to remember that, that as a church, we are in a continual building program, not brick and mortar. We're not talking about brick and mortar. We're talking about disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what we're doing here. Let's not get focused, so focused on a, a building project that we forget the real essence of our mission, and that is to build disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus is building his church. Uh, Paul said this to the church at Corinth. You are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. See, Jesus is building his church. God is building the church of Jesus Christ, and we are co-workers in that mission. We are co-workers, partners in that effort. So we are to be building up one another. You see, God is more interested in our spiritual growth because that's what the word really refers to. It's really talking about the spiritual growth. When it says the church was strengthened, the church was growing spiritually, collectively. It's not just enough for some of us to huddle over here and grow in Jesus over here. It's not just for a select few. It's for all of us. It's for you. All of us. Every one of us. And we're to have a part in building up one another. We're to have a part in that. We're to see ourselves as construction workers, subcontractors, building up God's church. Paul called himself a wise, skillful architect, a master builder of God's house. And he called on the other builders to be careful, to be wise, how they built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So church, we are to pursue the constructing, the building up, the strengthening of one another. This is what we're to actively be pursuing. And I, I, I just ask, are we, are we doing this? A thriving church 
does not just come into a room and just interact in the church just by appearing at a service. Church, that is not what we are about. This is, that's not what we are to be about. We are to be interacting in one another's lives with an intention of building one another up in the Lord. So it's throughout the word, Ephesians 4.12. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. It's the work of the saints. Ephesians 4.16. Building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. You don't, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be one of the teachers in the church. We are all to have a part in building up one another. Paul says to the church at Corinth, whenever we come together, everything is to be done for building up. When, when, when you came in here tonight, was it even on your radar. I'm guessing it's, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. It's, it's not usually on our radar, is it? Usually on our radar is, man, I hope Pastor Dave doesn't talk too long tonight. You know, that's, that's got to be up at the top. You know, uh, I hope that the juice is cold, man. You know, the crackers aren't stale. No, I'm kidding. Nobody think, no, I know you don't care about that stuff. Maybe you do. I don't know. Now you're going to be, now you're going to worry about it for the rest of the service. But, you know, the, the, what, what's on our radar? What's on our radar? Can I encourage you, man, every time we come together, be it in this room or, or you get together with a brother over coffee, don't just shoot the breeze, man. Don't, don't just talk about everything in the world. I mean, yeah, you can start there, but, but get down to building one another up in the Lord. Iron sharpening iron, Right? So this is one of the characteristics of a thriving, a thriving church. So the church is a place for building up, not tearing down. Say it with me, church. The church is a place for building up, not tearing down. Let's say it again. The church is a place for building up, not tearing down. Not tearing down. Oh, when I was... Back in Connecticut as a youth pastor, we were renovating a bathroom in the old building. We had a Christian school there. And so we had to gut this bathroom. So I went and I got me about five junior high boys and some sledgehammers. Man, they ripped that thing apart (laughs) in no time flat. There is something easy about tearing things apart. Tear, <laughs> destruction. Man, there's something really easy and almost fun about that. Have you ever smashed up an old car? Have you ever had some fun doing that? I mean, there's something about that. And, and I, I, I'm afraid that sometimes in our, in our old nature, man, sometimes we find some joy in just like bringing other people down to our level. It helps us to feel a little more spiritual. You know, consider others, esteem others is better than yourself. Somewhere along the way from the Jerusalem church to the church at Corinth, <laughs> the thing got messed up. 
By the time you study the church at Corinth, don't, don't ever go to the Corinthians and think, we want to be a Corinthian church. No, we don't. No, we don't. We don't want to be a Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a mess, right? The, you, by the time you, you read the book of Corinth, or, uh, Corinthians, you, you see what the church of Jerusalem was. The church in Corinth, man, they had so many problems. They were, there was fighting. There was division. There, there was everyone kind of looking out for themselves. I mean, there was sin in the church. And Paul basically says, I wasn't able to speak to as mature people, as spiritual people. I had to talk to you like I was talking to spiritual babies. That's a church he's talking to. And I have to wonder tonight, if, if Paul were to write a letter to us, could he, could he talk to us like spiritual people or would he have to talk to us like spiritual babies? When you read what happened in Corinth, man, they were ripping the thing apart, taking sides, causing division. It was a mess. But a thriving church is one in which the members don't tear down. They intentionally build up one another. Remember that, church. Third, third characteristic. A church, as we continue on here, it had peace, was strengthened, and then it says that the church was living in the fear of the Lord. Living in the fear of the Lord. The Bible has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. I, I'd encourage you to do a little study on it. We don't have time to break it all down here tonight. But you know, unfortunately, our mental image of the word fear is not very good. Right? We get our word phobias from this Greek word. How many phobias do we have? right? I turned the news on the other night, I told you. And there's like, they're showing like these clips of people being attacked on the street. I don't, I don't know. Did anybody see this last night in the news? They're showing these, these clips when I've, uh, of people, like this woman's walking, down, I think she was in Chicago, which, go figure. But she's walking down the street and like these three dudes jump out of this car and just walk over and throw her to the ground and start beating on her. Try, people in New York, right there, they're on, are you getting... Do you feel the phobias coming up? How many, you feel the fear coming on, right? They're, they're riding down the, the sidewalk on bikes and with ski masks on in the middle of the day in New York City. Now, I used to live in that part of the world. And I can tell you this. We don't ride down the street in the middle of September with ski masks on. Maybe, maybe January. But, but they are just jumping off their bikes and ripping whatever jewelry they can off of people and beating people up. I mean, this is happening in America. And it's easy for us to watch that and you feel the fear start coming up within us. You know, I have to remind us that the Bible tells us not to live in fear of those who can kill the body. What does it say? Who are we to fear? We're to fear God. Don't live in fear of the people that can hurt you. Now, you might want to carry a gun. <laughs> you might want to get trained in some, you know, self-defense. But don't live in fear. Don't. Kids, you go to a public school and, and you watch the news and they're shooting them up. Don't live in, don't go every day. Oh my goodness. What are, we're not to live in fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We're not to fear what man can do to us, but we are to fear God. 
And we're not talking about this trembling kind of fear, this, this stay away from me kind of fear. We're talking about a reverence and awe of God. It, fearing God is just basically, it basically means that I know that God cares what I do. He cares. He watches. So I need to live for him. I, I need to watch my step. I need to honor him, live in a way that respects him, honors him. And the church, the early church, they were living in the fear of God. It expresses holy living. And I, I, man, how do you talk about holy living in 2022? How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. I'll tell you how you do it. You just preach the Bible the way it's been preached for 2,000 years. We're not... Here, we're not, we're not going to water it down. We're not going to try to c- come to skip over passages that might seem, <gasps> how can you say that in 2022? Listen, God is the creator. He gets to make the rules. And he made the rules. There is right and wrong. He, he's the creator of those laws. And it's just simply up to us to walk in a way that honors him, knowing that one day we'll stand before him and give an account. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, he tried, he tried his way. And yet at the end, he came to say, look, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because in the end, we're all going to give an account to God church, a thriving church lives in the fear of God that affects how we live. Why? Because sin will kill a church like nothing else. The church is a living organism. Think of your, your living body. I, I have a friend right now, she's dying from cancer and they just, they told her there's nothing more we can do. She's 48. She was a part of our church some years ago, and they live in Texas now, and, and they, there's nothing else we can do for you. And her husband is just, oh, her husband is just obviously completely heartbroken. You know what cancer does to a human body? Some, some of you in here, you've dealt with it. That is what sin does to a church. And we have to think, sometimes we think, well, what I do doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect the church. I'm not hurting anybody, right? I mean, isn't that how the world kind of looks? At, hey, if you're not hurting anybody, what's the big deal? Listen, personal sin hurts the people around us, and it has a ripple effect. If I'm living in sin, let me tell you something. It's going to affect my wife. It will. I turn into a jerk, you know? I'm, I mean, just... You, Think about how you act when, you're in, when, you're, when your attitude's all upside down and you're in sin, right? I mean, we just, we turn into little, we can turn into little monsters or big monsters for that matter, right? Sin has a ripple effect. And so as a church, let's live in the fear of God. If we're going to be a thriving church, it means that how we conduct ourselves every day has a bearing on that. Next one. Number four, the church, it says here, was living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That's really neat. 
The Holy Spirit had empowered them back in Acts chapter 2, and now the Holy Spirit is encouraging them. That word encourage there comes from the, the Greek word paraclete, which is the very title by which Jesus called the Holy Spirit back in John chapter 14. It just can be translated comforter or uh, exhorter or encourager. And it just literally means to come alongside of, uh, of someone. There's a, a wonderful illustration of this word. Took place back in 1992. Do you remember those? That was a good year. My wife and I were married in 1992. The Summer Olympics. Barcelona, Spain. Maybe some of you saw this. I was probably on my honeymoon. I wasn't watching the Olympics, I can tell you that. British runner, Derek Redman. Anybody know about this story? Anybody? Does that name ring a bell? Derek Redman was complete, competing in the 400-meter race. He had already won uh, uh, a British national record. Um, in the previous Olympics, he had been forced to withdraw 10 minutes before the race because of an injury to his Achilles tendon. Now, four years later... He's here, he's ready to compete, he's determined to win a medal in the 400 meter, and his father is standing there uh, watching from the stands, and during the semi-final heat, Redmond was leading the pack. Can you, are you picturing this? He's leading the pack, he's 175 meters away from the finish line, when suddenly his right hamstring suddenly pops and he falls to the ground. All the other races, racers, you know what? They just, they raced right on past him. And once again, his Olympic dreams had been snatched away from him, but Redmond was determined to finish the race. And so he got up and he just, though he was in a great deal of pain, he began hobbling toward the finish line. Everybody could see that the guy was in pain. They, it was, they didn't even know if he'd make it when suddenly his father gets out of his seat. He goes down the stands. He jumps over the barricade, past security, and he runs right out there onto the field and he puts his arm around his son's waist and he encourages him to keep going. As 65,000 people in the stadium, they rise to their feet and they begin to applaud father and son making their way down the track to the finish line together. Well, Derek didn't win any medals that day, but Derek finished the race with the help of his father. That is what a paraclete is. That is who the Holy Spirit is. He comes alongside of his church And whatever our troubles have been, whatever our problems have been, whatever it is that we need in our life, the Holy Spirit, man, he comes alongside of us. He encourages us. And life can get hard sometimes. We all know that. Even for a church, it can be brutal. But the Holy Spirit encourages. He encourages us. You've been there times when you just felt like giving up for, for it all. Throwing the towel, you know, like I quit. I'm out. I'm checking out. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside of you and encourages you. 
How does the Holy Spirit encourage his church? He teaches us God's truth, John 14, 26. He fills us with God's love, Romans 5, 5. He assures us that God is our father. What an encouragement that is, right? Reminds us that we belong to him. And he also, Romans 12 tells us that he gives gifts of encouragement. He, he gifts some in the church to be encouragers. There are some of you sitting in this room right now that the Holy Spirit has gifted you with the gift of encouragement. Think Barnabas, right? There are some of you, man, and I see it happen. Somebody's down and you're, you're like, woo, woo, woo. Like you're there on the scene. Okay, how can I help you? How can I encourage you? God through the Holy Spirit, he has, he's gifted some within the church. This is part of his ministry to the church. He brings encouragement when we need it. And a thriving church is not a discouraged church. A thriving church is a church that is encouraged because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. Whatever discouragements we've had in the past, we don't need to live with those dark clouds over our head. We can be encouraged in the Lord tonight. Number five, we're done. What does it say at the end of the verse? And it increased in numbers. The church grew in numbers. We find that all throughout these first several chapters. And people were being saved by the thousands. Disciples were, sometimes it just says, in increasing numbers. It doesn't tell us how many. We just get the sense that many people were being added to the church. It's God's building. It's God who gives the increase, church. We're to stay focused on the mission and know that if we will, as co-laborers of God, build up one another. We will continue forward with the mission that he's given us. God will give an increase. And you know, in the history of our church, we've always seen that. We've always seen that. We've always seen, there's always been a growth going on in the church. Even in years where it seemed like there was more loss than there was growth. There's always been this growth. And, you know, what I believe is that, that our best days are ahead of us. Do you believe that? I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of you are telling me. I'm hearing it outside this room, that, that our best days are ahead of us. And we believe that God is going to give us a, a season of increase. You know what's important for us? It's important for us in this season to get ready for this. As we've been talking about through this series, it's important for us to, uh, to be ready, to be growing inside what's going on inside this room and how we work together as teams of, uh, uh, in ministry that we are preparing ourselves for what God is going to do, the increase that God is going to give us. By the way, the, word, the, the verbiage there, the grammar there, it's in the passive mood which means that God is the one who's doing this. God is the one who's doing this. This is why, as a pastor, I'm not a fan of church growth techniques. Like, let's go out and get the latest growth techniques and let's figure out what it takes to build a church and, and do whatever it takes to get more numbers. I, that's, we have our mission. Let's do the mission. 
Let's just do the mission and, and know that God will give the increase. The goal is not the growth. The goal, the, the, the growth is a byproduct of accomplishing the mission. And that's exactly how it's stated here. The mission was taking place, right? They're living in the fear of God. The Holy Spirit is encouraging them, right? They are being strengthened, right? The mission is happening as you see throughout all these chapters and the characteristics of what was happening inside this church and what was going on as a byproduct of all of that, the church had grown. So wrapping this up, if Luke were to write a progress report for Life Path Church. What would that look like? Certainly, we have been blessed with conditions of external peace, right? No restrictions here. We can, we can openly meet and worship. We can proclaim the gospel. But what about inward peace? Seems as though we have inward peace. We know what the lack of that looks like and doesn't seem to be here, but I don't know everyone's relationship in the room with everyone else in the room necessarily. There could be some matters of, that need to be addressed so that there's inward peace in the body. But how are we doing in terms of our spiritual dynamics, living in the fear of God, leaning on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to encourage and to empower us. Man, we desire to see the Lord blessed by adding to his church. And so I think the way that we close this is simply by praying the words of Acts 9.31, that, that these words might be true of Life Path Church. That these words, that we would be this kind of a church, that that these characteristics could be said of us, maybe not at the moment, but let's pray that that we would become an Acts 9.31 church, that we will enjoy peace and that we will be strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increasing in numbers. And so would you join me in bowing for prayer? And as I pray, would you pray? Father, this is our prayer. Lord, we do pray that we will enjoy peace externally, internally, Lord. May we be at peace with one another. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us. May we live in the fear of the Lord. May we be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And may we be increasing in number, we pray in Jesus' name.